Hey, before we get into this week's episode of the It's Telehealth podcast, just want to take a couple seconds and thank you so much for swinging by for this week's episode. It means a lot to us that you're tuning in. We'd love to hear feedback. So if you guys would leave a comment and let us know what you thought about this week's episode, it would mean the absolute world to us. Thanks Four, a lot. Three, two, one. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the It's Telehealth podcast. I cannot be more excited to bring you Dan Wright today. You know, Dan... You and I have been connected on LinkedIn for quite some time. And before we hopped on live here, we were talking about building a relationship that we've been able to build based on, you know, encouragement, positivity, but also being supporters of one another from a distance. And, you know, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show today because I believe that your unique perspective on why positivity is important, especially in the role that you hold in healthcare organizations, is going to be incredibly valuable for the people here today. And so I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's such an honor to be with you. And, uh, you know, like you said, we've connected um, and we've stayed in touch for several months now. And I, I'm just really in awe of the positivity that you share. And I couldn't be more thrilled to be part of it. So thank you for inviting me. Well, you know, a big part of that positivity is really kind of getting the, I would say, encouragement from the people around me. And, you know, having people like you have been supporters of my positive message from afar means the world. Um, so before we kind of dive into the conversation about positivity today, why don't you let the audience know exactly a little bit more about you, kind of what your background is, what current role you hold in healthcare organizations, and just a little bit about Dan. Yeah, so I am a chief nursing officer. And uh, as we have this conversation, I'm really speaking from my life, my life lessons and my perspective on where I am and how I got here and, and really what's driven me to who I am and, and where I am. And, uh, you know, that comes from a lot from struggles, but, um, you know, I believe through the challenges that I've endured over my life um, really has brought me to a place of, of peace and really reflected on who I am and where I am and how I got here. And if I could share my story and maybe it helps even one person to think differently about themselves and the environment that they live in, then um, I'm honored to do that. But uh, so I am a chief nursing officer in healthcare, and it's actually my second career. And uh, I started off in the insurance industry for several years. And as we often do as we get older, I really started thinking about what did I want to do and how uh, at the end of life did I want to say I lived my life? And it really was about how can I make a difference in people's lives? And so for me, my calling really became in nursing and uh, because what better way to show compassion and love and people in times of need or in times of grief and happiness. And uh, so I grew up in Ohio and I have now lived in six states. And uh, so the career and my life and its passion for making a difference really just brought me to several different areas to meet several different people, whether it was a long period of time or a short period of time. And uh, I will say along the way is you can always learn something and some people have value in your life, whether it be positive or um, in a challenging time. And so um, it's, it's great to, to be here with you and, and share a little bit more about where I am and how I got here. Your journey is something that inspires me. You know, you and I connected on the phone, per, first of all, and we talked about, you know, that journey of life taking us to different opportunities knowing that you've lived in six states is a lot more movement and a lot more opportunity for growth than I think a lot of people experience. I myself have lived in Washington State in the Seattle area, Detroit in Michigan, South Carolina in Myrtle Beach, Las Vegas, Hawaii, and now I'm back in Las Vegas. And all of those individual steps or opportunities for growth, I've always tried to embrace because we never know what is sitting on the other side of the next opportunity. 
So I want to kind of use that topic as a way to kind of talk about your early career. So you started out in insurance. How did you decide to make the pivot into nursing and now being a chief nursing officer? That seems like such an extreme change, but comes with a lot of, I would say, adversity in making that decision because becoming a CNO is not an easy road to accomplish. And so I know you've gone through your trials of hardship, ups and downs along that way, but kind of what was the motivation there? Wow, that, that's a big question because there was a lot that came into it. And um, as I was in insurance and I was um, moving up and I started off early in leadership and um, it, it became very natural for me. And what was scary, and as I pivoted away from insurance and decided to go into nursing, like I said, I really looked at the end of my life and say, what do I want to be proud of? And everybody has a place in this world, right? We all have a place and we all need each other because there's so many different industries that make the world go round. So for me personally, it was really about, I just wanted to take care of people and how do I make a positive difference in others' lives? And I really reflected on what, what did that look like and where did that, where was that space for me? And um, I, I found it in nursing because um, a lot of times, specifically in healthcare, you'll find people have a personal story about what led them into the healthcare field. And it's usually somebody that like they've taken care of a, a loved one, or they were around a time of, of healthcare where others were taking care of a loved one and it inspired them. And for me, it, it did that same thing. And so when I was, it was, I was about 29. And I remember thinking about wow, this is a risky move, right? Because I've cashed in my 401k to put myself through school. Oh. Um, I didn't have the luxury of, of coming from a very wealthy family. And um, I saw struggles you know, financially from my, my mother who worked very hard to care for my sister and I. And I remember thinking to myself, one is I never want to depend on anybody. I wanted to create my own path and I wanted to create my own success, but I wanted to do it with passion. And what better way than to work in healthcare and take care of other people? And so what was interesting is in my journey at the time, I said, you know, I don't really know that I ever want to be in leadership again because I care. I love taking care of people at the bedside. Um, I love being able to have those moments with people and with families, whether in difficult times or in, in times of celebration because they were leaving and they were healthier than when they arrived. Um, so it was really pivotal for me to consistently reflect on what was making me happy. And um, when opportunities present themselves in leadership, I couldn't say no because there was something gravitating me towards uh, of making a difference. And I had to put in a perspective of saying, I'm not just taking care of an assignment of patients or people. Um, now I'm more responsible as I move up for other people taking care of other people. So I've always wanted to stay true to the heart of nursing and the heart of people. Um, and how do I give back and how do I inspire and motivate every day? And so that has been the cornerstone of who I am as a person, as a leader. Now, I fail sometimes, um, as we all do. And what I always, you know, philosophically speaking, is I, I think to myself, don't get stuck in the past, reflect on the past, but always stay focused on where you're going and where you want to be. I mean, that's a strong message of alignment towards making decisions based on what direction we're moving in. And, you know, when I think about you making that transition into nursing at the age of 29, that seems like quite the daunting decision to make because you have to make the financial obligations of cashing in your 401k and now going in a path that is unknown. You know, one of the biggest things that I've tried to deploy as I get a little bit older is my relationship with time. 
and recognizing that we have so much more time than we really give ourselves credit for. A personal experience that I have right now is my girlfriend is going to the University of Toro here in Las Vegas to become a physician's assistant. And right now we have supportive conversations back and forth about how much time she really has. And one of the pressures that she's kind of under right now is, I don't want to lose my 20s by going to school forever. And when I come out, I don't want to have to like automatically jump into bigger responsibilities. And one of the reframes that I gave her the other night was once you get done with PA school, you're going to be in a position to be successful for the rest of your life. And you're still going to be younger than me, which is very interesting. (laughs) And I was like, do you think I'm washed up? Do you think I'm boring? And so hearing her perspective of like that enlightenment moment of like, okay, maybe I have more time than I think is something that I think a lot of us struggle with. So how did you kind of like build up the fortitude to make such an extreme change? Was it the identification of knowing that you were moving in the direction that was in alignment with you that kind of gave you that push? Or did you kind of have your struggles and kind of getting up and getting moving? No, I was always motivated. Once I started, I put my mind toward it. It was about the motivation of saying, what's the end goal here? And the end is never really the end. It's always just a milestone on your journey. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was, I, I was, I was going to do this. I was all in and which was very odd for me because and unique, because I would say in my twenties and my teens. Um, and I think of the formative period of my mom and dad were divorced when I was um, eight years old. And that in itself was a big moment in my life because you think somebody who loves you steps away from your family, right? Is stepping out of the family. So your dynamic changes. And so for the longest time, I was afraid to put both feet in whatever I was doing. And so at that, at 29, I put both feet in and Mm -hmm. I said, this is going to work and I'm going to make this work. And so I pushed myself hard. I stayed focused. Um, I I graduated with uh, the Scholar Award. I graduated with Florence Nightingale Award. Um, And I don't say that in in a bragging way, but I'm proud because for me, it was a moment in time where I realized that I could do anything and that I pushed myself to succeed and I made it happen. I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't, I was looking for support financially from anyone. I wasn't looking for emotional support. I was for once in my life putting myself first. And so time is of the essence as we know, and we get older and gosh, I can only think of what you think of me as you know, what I'm thinking of how old I am and how old you guys are. But, um, Time is, I I think as we get older, we learn how precious it is, but at the same time, we don't want to waste it either. So be passionate in what you do, be inspiring to others and be able to tell your story. So that way, if it means anything to one person that you can make anything possible. If you put your mind to it, you put your heart into it. And if your heart is in it, you're going to be successful. I truly believe that. Um, Some of the people that I look up to, a great person, um, I think a lot of people in the entrepreneurial business space look up to is somebody, Jeff Bezos, for example. And I recently saw an article for the hundredth time where he was talking to his boss from the organization before he started Amazon. And his boss said to him, you know, I think this is a great idea for somebody who already doesn't have a well-paying job. And he said, in that moment, I understood where my boss was coming from and trying to push me in the direction of safety. But I knew that if I didn't try it, when I got older, I would regret for not have tried. And that's something that I'm trying to hold myself more accountable to as I get a little bit older. One of the reasons why I'm so passionate about positivity is I've started to think about what I'm going to be known for later. 
And I can't wait to start putting all of the eggs in that basket because precious or time in itself is so precious. And what if for some reason I'm taken from this world earlier than I expect, what am I going to be known for? And so I want to start laying down those bricks and those layers of compassion, empathy, support, positivity, and letting those be the cornerstones of the character that I'm left or that I'm leaving behind. And I think just kind of leaning into that is so important, but I haven't had that sense of perspective based on what I want to be viewed on until I started getting a little bit older and recognizing how precious really the time is that we have. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It does. And um, again, time is of the essence and it's, if you're so focused on time though, you're going to miss out on everything else that's happening and where you want to go. Um, we're given so much time per day. It's, but what are you putting into your own account and what's being taken out of it? So when you think of, of time in terms of money is continue to deposit. Um, don't let the negativity, the worry, the frustrations take away from what you can focus your energy on. And, it, you know, we live our lives and, and people live in different spaces, but I always say, focus on the control. What do I have control over? What can I influence? And then what can't I? And it's really about making, making sure that we're shedding the layer of, if it's out of my control, why do I waste time on it? I can't. I can, what can I influence? That's a different story. And then what can I control? So I really try to stay in the space of what I can control and who I can influence and what I can influence um, in a positive way. You know, and again, I talk about, you know, when I talk about failure, it, it's not in terms of meaning I'm, I fall down and I'm not getting back up. No, I'm going to learn from it just like we always do is what do we learn from those times? And I think that those are the times that we learn the most is when we try something and it doesn't succeed and it, we do it in personal lives, we do it in work, we've done it in relationships. Anytime that we've had, whether it's personal or professional, I just think of what went wrong or what can go wrong. And I focus the energy on, well, how do I make it better? Um, mm -hmm. Because I still struggle all the time. Um, you know, with the, the, I talked about the family dynamic of my parents divorcing. I could have let that eat me up my entire life. Um, you know, I've had loved ones who I've lost in early ages, whether it's from suicide, from accidents and so forth. And I think about, and again, I use the term reflective because you always have to reflect where you came from, what, what triggers you in emotionally, mentally, physically, but how do you use that energy? And I, I could have stayed in a dark place for a very long time, but I really, what I wanted to do is use that and tell my story and, and hopefully to inspire others and use it to inspire others because um, you have people who come from, you know, whether money or you have people who don't come from money, but it's not that that makes people different. It's the challenges that you face and, and taking time to reflect on it and say, how can I use this to influence my life and others in a better way? I think that's a, a scary proposition for so many of us because of the society that we live in today. You know, I think especially people who come from younger generations, a lot of millennials, a lot of Gen Z people are, we're growing up in this time where everybody's life from the outside perspective is a highlight reel. And so we only see the vacations. We only see the celebrations. We only see the job promotions. We only see all of these things. And the people at the top seem to have gotten there without having to go through the hardship of the challenges of the failure. One of the things that I've tried to do as I've gotten a little bit older again is recognize that failure is a part of the game of life. And I heard an interesting analogy about the gamification of failure. 
And it was a use of a TED talk. And this guy was talking about all of his friends used to go home after middle school and go play Mario. And when everybody would come back the next day, they would talk about how far they made it in Mario. And everybody would be like, oh my gosh, you made it to the end of the eighth level. That's so amazing. Not talking about all of the times that they failed and got hit by the shell on level six and had to restart. And when we approach kind of, you know, life from a gamification perspective, recognizing that every time we attempt, we are getting better. We're learning lessons. We have the ability to deploy that sense of self-awareness and that perspective that gives us an ability to say, I tried it that way. I'm going to try it again. Okay. It didn't work. Now maybe I'll try it this way and see what happens. So that sense of failure is something that I think we all need to do a better job of creating a, a beneficial relationship with because it's a part of everything that we do. Nobody's made it through life without failing. But like you said, it's the ability to deploy that perspective of how can I improve from this and learn from this that makes us the best possible. I'm not sure if you agree with that. I do. I didn't know that we'd be talking about Mario in this, in this conversation, <laughs> but I'm glad that we did. Um, I, I use the analogy of it's like driving. You know, you're driving in a car. Mm -hmm. and life is, it, the drive continues throughout life. Uh, it only stops when we're no longer here. And we have people in our car that we love. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're people that we don't want there, but they are. And as you're driving through life, you can look, you can look in the rearview mirror. Don't stay there, because what's going to happen is you're going to miss what's happening inside the car, and you're going to miss where, where you're going. So what I say is, you know, always take a look on where you've been, and where you, but focus on where you're going and focus on the moment of who's with you and are the right people with you. Um, because as we know, sometimes we have people in our lives that um, aren't always the best for where we are in our lives, but they're the, there's a reason that they're there. Mm -hmm. And it's either to inspire and motivate us or they're bringing us down. And we all run to these people, but I think it, the relationships of having people that um, have taught you a lesson in a negative way is just as important as the people who show you the love and support. It's just how you use it. And to me is you got to stay focused, focus on where you're going, but don't lose sight of where you are. I completely agree. I mean, that focus. Um, and once again, being able to understand the purpose of why people are in our lives, the purpose of the experience helps us really kind of mold, be fluid enough to kind of do the things that are necessary to get to where we're going. Um, you know, you being a leader, I would love to be able to talk about kind of this topic of culture. What yes. happens when, you know, Chief Nursing Officer Dan comes across a team member who isn't exactly contributing to the overall culture of your team and being successful? What are some of the things that you do or things that you've learned along your career that help you kind of create that better team dynamic? Is first, you have to understand where people are, um, because sometimes uh, we think the expectations that we have set are clear. And sometimes you have to really understand where the person is. And I think oftentimes we have expectations of others that we have on ourselves and they're not always aligned. And so we have to take a moment to find out where the person is and ask the questions, get insight and gain that insight. And then you use that as a relationship tool to build it to a better tomorrow. And um, so we, you know, there's in, in any team dynamic, you have different personalities, you have different people, but it's a really about how do you leverage all of that to make the best team possible? And have you set the expectations? Have you talked to them? Um, have you understood, do they understand the expectations? So for me, it's really just about understanding where people are. And I believe in, in um, you know, I have a, a colleague, Kay Kennedy, who wrote a book um, on human-centered leadership. 
and um, I'm reading it right now. She sent me a copy, so shout out to Kay. But um, I believe that that is the heart of everything is to understand where people are coming from, understanding their story, because oftentimes people lead because of, of who they are as a person and the personal experiences that they've had. And so for me, it's just really understanding who everybody is and how do you leverage it and understanding their strengths and what they bring to the table. And then also understanding what are some of the weaknesses and the questions I ask those, you know, certain, uh, you know, individuals is um, tell me about your strengths. Tell me about your, your opportunities or your challenges that you're having, because that to me is the opening to the story of how do we improve as a team? How do we improve as individuals, as leaders, as a team? Um, so I really leverage just getting to know people on a, on a personal and a professional level to see where they're at, where they want to go. Because I feel like so powerful what you just said, I have to say that, um, you know, I think a true attribute of great leaders is a willingness to understand that people are, can, are creating your team. You've got individuals yep. who come from individual backgrounds, individual experiences, perspectives, and drives in their own personal lives that mm -hmm. help them contribute to a team. So one thing that you said a little earlier, and I might not, I might mess this up. So I apologize, but you're like, you know, I love to support the people to be able to bring the team together and to become more congealed. I know that's not exactly what you said, but that was how I kind of took it. So what is your perspective on some of the, I would say soft skills that are so important in being a leader, self-awareness, empathy, you know, compassion, candor, being able to tell people honestly what's going on. How have some of those kind of, I would say, EQ skills played in your personal development towards creating a team and why are they so important? Absolutely. Um, well, a, a couple of things. You mentioned compassion and compassion is the most important thing that we can do, not just in healthcare, but anywhere. Because again, if, if you know, there's this archaic way of thinking in terms of leadership of the past is leading you know, in, a, in a directive state, leading in a, um, in a dictatorial type of, of atmosphere. And that doesn't work because it, it works for the short term for me. And I'm, and I'm, again, this is my own experiences and my own beliefs, but I believe that you ask the questions and you gain insight from the team. I could sit here all day long and make decisions for everybody, but is that a short-term game or is it a long-term strategy? And for me, it's, you get people together and I don't make this, I don't, I try to make decisions unilaterally. I try to make decisions with the team because if you can gain people's perspectives and come together as one unit and then you go out there and you're executing on the decisions that you've made as a team you're going to get a lot further than you are if i just come in and say this is what we're going to do so my strategy is never to come in and say well dan has this idea so we're going to go ahead and implement execute no dan has an idea but he's going to socialize it with his team so that way we can talk about it as a team we can agree on it as a team and we can go out there and enforce it as a team I think those are some of the most strong attributes of a leader is incorporating everybody's unique perspective. You know, I think a lot of us came up in the time of a dictatorial sense of leadership, a boss, if you really will, somebody who's going to tell you what to do, make sure you're doing your job and aligning with the overall message that's coming from the top down. One thing that I know has happened over the last couple of years here because of the pandemic is organizations have had to be incredibly flexible in supporting the staff who is supporting the people in our hospital systems. So what are some of the challenges, I guess, that you have faced in kind of creating that congealed sense of camaraderie? Um, because I know that, you know, especially our nursing staff continues to be run down to the bare limit. 
You know, there's a lot of shortages. Retention is a huge issue. Burnout is a huge issue in healthcare. And so I wonder how you are as a leader kind of prioritizing the people so they can show up fully fulfilled to pour into other people's cups all day. Hey guys, just want to hop into this week's episode and show a little bit of love if you guys are still listening. It would mean the absolute world to us if you shared this episode or the podcast in general with some friends and some family. We love to get more ears on the podcast so we can improve, get more feedback, and create a better show for you guys. But just want to hop in here, show a little bit of love, and ask for your help. Thanks. Thank you for asking that question. And um, I have a nursing leadership philosophy that I use, and it's not just for nursing, it's for leadership philosophy that I use. And I believe in, and I've used these words before, but inspirational, motivational leadership with accountability. Um, those are the three pillars that I really lead with. Um, and again, like I said, I'm not always perfect at it, but that is the core of who I am and the culture that I want to create. So for me, it's really about inspiring and motivating people to want to drive. And you mentioned retention and you've talked about nursing and it's been so challenging and I feel for the nurses and I have been in the trenches um, in terms of when the pandemic um, started to where we are today. And I cannot express the gratitude that I have for nurses. Um, This has been the most difficult time. There's a lot of shift in what nursing looks like now, what does it look like in the future? So for me is you create a culture where people want to be you create a culture where people say this is the best place to work because they feel part of something. They have ownership in something. And so for me, it's really, um, you know, I'm, I'm newer to a, a f- new facility, but I've created, and I think what people, and I'm speaking for me, what people need is they need a roadmap. They want to know that there is a path forward. And so for me, though, one of the most important things that I could do is create that. Um, and so I created a nursing strategic plan that has four different quadrants in it that really puts the people engagement and uh, recruitment in the first and foremost, because people have to build value and appreciate it. And it's like, um, I, and a previous colleague used this analogy, but it's like you're having a boat with a hole in it. It doesn't matter what you do on the external part of it. If you don't fix the hole, you're gonna continue to have a problem. So mm-hmm. for me, the retention part is the most important thing that we could do is to show value and appreciation to our people. And I call it, I call our nursing strategic plan, um, a, it's called re- reinvestment in you. And I want people to know that we have a path forward and I want them to see it and I want them to feel it. And the only way for me to do that is to get out there and talk to them and to give them a format and a, a platform to be part of it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's the most important thing we can do um, from a cultural perspective is, listen, um, when I'm out there rounding to hear, see, and feel what's going on, my job is to advocate for nursing. And um, if I'm not doing that by being with the team, then I've already failed. And I think that's a true form of leadership, which is being there with the team being there with the people who are doing the work and getting a true understanding. I feel like, you know, a huge part of the great resignation in general across all sectors of employment has not been because people haven't exactly enjoyed the job that they're doing, but maybe they didn't feel like the leadership in some of the roles was in the trenches enough with us to understand what the stresses, what the strains, what the, you know, problems that we were facing And so that's why I think we find a lot of people finding themselves in a position of saying, well, if this organization doesn't believe in me and the leaders don't believe in me, I'll go find somewhere else where I want to be and find a culture that I can be a part of somewhere that is supportive, somewhere that is conducive to me showing up every day as my best self. And I think that's why, you know, the great resignation in my mind has gotten a negative look from a lot of people because they say staff don't want to work. 
people don't want to do these jobs anymore. Maybe it's a bigger problem because the leaders of our organizations haven't been as supportive as they should have been to the people actually going through it. Does that make sense? It does. Absolutely. Well, I'll put it out there for anybody. If you, if you don't feel appreciated, come see me. Um, <laughs> because, um, you know, and again, you know, I, I'm not perfect leader by any means, uh, but I, I do lead with heart. And um, I, I, you know, I never want to forget where I came from. And I want to always have that ability to connect. And I think connecting with our caregivers is the most important thing that we can do. Um, and creating a platform where people feel valued and they feel appreciated. And, and it's not just in healthcare, it's everywhere. We all want to feel that way. Um, so what better way as a leader is to provide an opportunity for, for people to feel that way and um, to take ownership. And uh, so th that to me is the most important thing as a leader I can do. I mean, I believe that. Um, I apologize for my phone there. That's One okay. thing that I was going to say, you said the couple words that are very important to me. One is ownership. But another one that you said was accountability. You know, I look at accountability as being a true superpower or a super unlock for giving or for taking the power back over a lot of situations. You know, I think you might be able to resonate with this, but because you've gone through so many different opportunity doors, if you will, where you've moved to six different states, you've been a part of different organizations, the sense of accountability that you deploy when you move into a new environment to know that you are going to be successful is something that I very much look up to because I can, you haven't identified that that's kind of where you sit on the table of accountability, but I can kind of vibe that that's where you sit when it comes to that. What role does accountability really play for you in your personal life as well as your professional life? Wow. Um, you know, I'm a different person at home, but I am at work. And uh, I, well, and I mean that in the terms of, uh, yeah, when in my personal life, I'm, I try to be more relaxed and I really try to find time to decompress and um, I spend time reflecting. And as I mentioned, I don't get stuck in the past. I like to reflect on it uh, because I always want to learn from what could I have done differently? What could I have done um, in a better way? Um, and I, I think that's part of life though, is we're constantly learning about who we are and, and how do we be better? And I, and I hope that everyone is doing that, right? Um, but for me, you mentioned the word accountability, and that's always a tricky word because accountability to me is um, sometimes we are so quick to want to jump to accountability. But for me, it's, it's a process because I have to understand, do they understand what the expectations are? And they have to be very clear because if not, then it's a shame on me for not setting them. Uh, and how can I hold somebody accountable who doesn't know what those are? So accountability is only, is only value and it's only valuable when someone understands what those expectations are. So first we have to understand, do they understand? And that's where that sense of accountability really comes from my perspective. You know, as a leader of an organization, if you have a team member who is not performing to a certain level, it's very easy to cast the blame towards them and say, they don't know what they're doing. They're not performing. But you have to kind of sometimes reverse that upon yourself to ask, did I explain do they understand? Did we do a good enough job of enabling them with the information that they need to be successful? Because yes. often, you know, through my experience, when people don't perform to your expectation, then often maybe there was a miscommunication in there somewhere. And that is a large like majority of the problems that I come across in our business is not communicating effectively. And so right. I try and deploy accountability in that fashion and understanding, did I do everything that I could have done 
to enable this person with the tools and the framework that they need to be successful. And if I didn't, how can I get better? Because at the end of the day, kind of the buck stops with me, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, and it's interesting that you say that because, you know, accountability is such a big word and we want to, sometimes it's easy to rush to it, but to me, it's, it's a process and it's a seek to understand where are they? What do they know? What, what do they, what would their interpretation of expectations are? And then we look at, is it a process opportunity? Is it a, is it a damn leadership opportunity? Um, so that's where we consistently learn and we grow and we hope that we provide a clearer framework for people. So that way it's a, it's a very clear path. And that's why I think when I talked about the nursing strategic plan that I created, it, it creates that space to say, this is what I'm accountable for. And do I understand what I'm accountable for? And it lays a, and not just in a, in a, in a word, uh, but it's really comprehensive in a visual perspective as well. Um, so I, you know, we took the word just culture comes to mind because it's really about drilling down into, well, do we have a process opportunity? Do we, do the people know what was expected of them? And then it really just follows the algorithm through to kind of help guide you. And so for me, that's very important. Oh, I agree a thousand percent. I think that's very powerful. Um, you know, one thing I want to talk about for a couple seconds is a question that I asked to one of my really good friends as of recent. I've created a piece of content about this and said, what role do optimism and confidence play in your leadership style in times of uncertainty? And I think it's fair to say that our healthcare systems over the last couple of years have found themselves in a place of uncertainty. So how does optimism and confidence play in Dan's book and inspiring others to kind of get through these uncertain times? I'm an optimistic by nature. So for me is I always look at the, the best options possible and um, that I always, you know, people will say hope isn't a strategy, but I'm always very hopeful. Um, I'm hopeful and I always look for the best in people. Um, and that, and it creates a positive force within me. And um, when I, you know, ask people about, myself, they'll say, you know, you're definitely optimistic. You're hopefully you bring a positive energy. And to me, that means more because think about the, the negative. If you you know, think about somebody you're around that is, has a negative vibe, or it's always the Debbie Downer, so to speak. Um, one is it gets me to want to understand where they're coming from. Why, why the negative? And then what can I do to change their mind? So I, th I think of it as a challenge when people are always going to the negative and, you know, you hear people talk about, um, all that person complains all the time, but that I want to talk to that person. Well, why, why are they, you know, why are they complaining all the time? Um, what is it that they can't see in the positive? So for me, optimism plays a big role in, in leadership in itself is because people want to feel hopeful. They want to feel that, um, somebody has a positive outlook, that they're confident about where we're going, but it's not just the feeling though, because you have to show people too, right? You have to show them that there's a, there's a hope, there's a positive, uh, uh, possibility out there. And as a leader, that's our role is because you know, over the past couple of years in the pandemic, people have been down, right? It, it has exhausted people. Um, it has made people question if this is the right profession for them. So why would I want to contribute to that feeling? I don't. I want to bring them back to what led them here, why they're here, the positive difference that they're making in people's lives, and let them know that they have purpose and that they're making a difference. So for me, optimism and confidence, um, I'm not always confident, right? We always second guess ourselves mentally about where we are and in the space that we're in. But when you invest in people, it gives you the confidence to be optimistic. 
Hmm. I think that's incredibly powerful. Um, and I love your response there because when we invest in people, it gives you the opportunity to be optimistic about the outcome that you can accomplish together. And I feel like so many leaders today in uncertain times take on so much weight that it almost becomes like a weighted jacket underwater. It's drowning. When you're levering all or leveraging all of the responsibility of your organization and your team on your shoulders, um, sometimes it can feel daunting. And so something that I've tried to deploy as I've gotten a little bit older is putting a lot of trust into others while recognizing that maybe they won't perform how I want to, how I want them to, but giving them the opportunity to perform at the end of the day is uh, upside potential that I really can't deny. And something that I really try and lean into consistently is, you know, I cannot do all of the jobs at a hundred percent because I only have a hundred percent of me. And so giving somebody the opportunity to flourish in a role creates such downstream positivity and such downstream upside that I think it's almost very difficult to measure in the moment, if that makes sense. Have you had experiences at the different organizations that you've been at in giving people, I would say, the leeway to fail and having that turn into a higher upside opportunity and how they performed? Yes. And it, it challenges me. And the reason I say that it challenges me, and you mentioned a word trust, trust is very important. And I have to stop myself sometimes because in my personal life, it's been hard to trust people. Again, it goes back to some of the circumstances and situations that I have experienced in my past. Um, but it has become a part of the leadership of, of what I believe in is trusting your people trusting them to make the decisions. You know, as, as a chief nursing officer, I have high intelligent people in, in the director positions um, in multiple facilities that I've been in. Um, and it's, it's been challenging for me to fully trust and let go because I have high expectations myself. I want us to do well. I want, because when we do well, our patients do well. Hmm. And so for me, it, it's, it's been a challenge, but I have, had to just remind myself to step back and trust others to do their work and let them know when they do, when they're faced with a challenge. And, and I don't want to say fail because I don't, no one fails. We learn. Right. And so I've, I want to give, and I've been very conscientious about making sure that I allow people have the space to, to make those, um, to experience hurdles. And then I'm there with them to say, what can I do to help you? How can I support you? A true sense of um, like serving leadership is kind of how mm -hmm. I take that being yes. there to support the people. And that's kind of one of the biggest things that I find a rub against in a lot of leadership style today is if I'm a leader, I should not be saying that you guys work for me, but rather I work for you guys as the leader. And when you have a leader who's on the ground in the trenches, as you said, with the people doing the work, it just creates so much more rapport so much more trust and so much more understanding in the shared experience that we're all going through, which is incredible. Yes. Um, I want to take the conversation a little bit of a different you know, angle now. And I want to ask you, so Dan, how are you dealing with all of the negativity that seems to be swirling in the world? You know, I think today we're exposed to more negative inputs than ever. If it's the media that we see, the news stories that we're exposed to, or the social media that we consume on a daily basis, it seems like there is so much negativity coming at us. So how are you showing up as the positive person who you show the world every single day? Uh, connecting with people like Keenan. So um, it, there is, uh, it's troublesome because 
you know, and this is, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be as vulnerable and honest about who I am as a person. And um, with all the negativity, there's thoughts that cross my mind. Sometimes I think, what are we doing and what are we doing it for? If all of these things are happening, but then I think about the sense, you know, we sensationalize a lot of what happens. And I think what you said about the media part is, you know, you go on Instagram and you see all these perfect pictures and you see these perfect lives and people try to attain that and they want to work towards that and they'll do anything to get there. Um, so I think for me is I have to separate myself from what's real, what's sensationalized and what's fantasy. And for me is staying true to who I am and why I'm doing what I'm doing. So it's, again, it goes back to that reflective part. And sometimes I have to, you know, I'll watch the news and I'll turn it off because it becomes too much. And in this world, we, you know, I would love to turn on the news and it be heartwarming stories about um, the wonderful things that people are doing in the world, because all we see is, and you think about this too, is you watch the news and it's always a breaking news moment, right? Mm -hmm. We dramatize everything that's happening. And it's not that it's not impactful to somebody, but what we need to is do is put it in a, in a box and be able to say, okay, that's part of the story, or maybe that is the story, but that's not all the story. And that's not at all that's going on in the world. So let, why don't we start looking for the good things that are happening? Because then psychologically, we start becoming what we see and what we feel. And if more of us did that, I think that we could drown out some of the negative noise that we hear on a, a consistent basis. And I, I want people not to feel that they always have to live up to what other people are doing or the, the life that they're portraying that is out there. And let's just start being real and talk about our struggles, talk about the vulnerabilities that we have, because we all have them. And not one person's life is perfect. We all struggle with different things and different dynamics and, and whether it's minimized or maximized. To me, it's, but who are you? Who are you really? And that to me is where I want us to get to and be able to say, it's okay not to be okay but we're going to support each other. And we're going to get through it. I have a, a good friend. You said some things that were there very important to me there. So I want to try and do my best to kind of get this thought out and then circle back a little bit. I have a really good friend named Dante McLean, who is a really good marketer. And something he said to me when I first met him was, you know, marketers ruin everything because we see an opportunity and we go in super hard at what the opportunity is. And I say that to say, you know, I think the world that we live in today has been optimized for attention. And attention, unfortunately, today is playing on the psychology of the breaking news moment, of the headline that is attention grabbing. And unfortunately, somewhere along the last couple of years, or maybe it's just been magnified over the last couple of years, the scary news, the scary headline, the scary thumbnail, the scary news message, whatever it is, is always put in front of us to grab our attention. And I think subconsciously, we instantly turn to that because we feel a subconscious or a primal threat in some of those moments. And I worry about kind of the overexposure to all of these hyper intensive moments in our lives where we almost start to create a sense of like compassion fatigue because how often can i look at the news and there's another breaking story another shooting another headline another gossip piece anything like that and so i don't know what your two cents on that little statement is or if i made sense in what i'm saying but it's just like you know i think we're getting into a place where it's like how much longer can we do this and what does the future of optimized attention kind of look like for us? Well, the question is, where does it stop? 
right? And you think about this, and I'm going to kind of be silly here, but it, it has a point. But, um, you know, I, I do watch The Real Housewives. So, and I say that meaning because to me, it's, it's mindless TV. It, 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 it distracts me a little bit. But I think about the progression of the drama. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it starts with, and, you know, a flipping of a table to people assaulting each other. So it's kind of like you continue to elevate the drama in order to get the ratings, to get the people to draw attention. And am I guilty of watching? Absolutely. But what I, what I want to get to, though, is where does it stop, though? How much is too much? And who's monitoring this? Because then you start getting into the whole laws thing and, and First Amendment and, and so forth. But at what point, at what cost is it that we allow and invite those sort of um, experiences into our life? And then how does it change us as people? Mm. And I, I really just struggle with that because I think of, you know, you think of the kids that potentially could be watching this and you think of people who are watching this and, and thinking, oh, well, well, I want to be a real housewife too. So what does it take to get on there? And how much drama do I have to create in order for it to happen? And I use this in a, in a funny way, but it's also, there's a seriousness to it of how much is too much and how is it impacting our lives and how do we change that narrative to start focusing on the positive? I think that's an incredibly important question. And there was a documentary that came out a couple of years ago and it was called The Social Dilemma. Got a lot of news because it was on Netflix. And the large premise of The Social Dilemma was the true power of social media is not to you know, show us our best lives, but through time to slowly and surely change our behavior. And mm-hmm. it's very interesting how social media in itself has continued to edge upwards in extreme or in extremity and recognizing the things that you have to do on these platforms in order to get fame, in order to get the attention, in order to get all of the next level results seem to be more and more extreme. And the one reason I bring that up is because Right now in the United States, we're going through a mental health epidemic. People are suffering from feelings of anxiety, stress, loneliness, isolation. And I think a huge part of that is because of almost the hyper connectivity that we have. But also I get worried for the generation that is coming up that was born into this era. You know, so they're talking about the youth and the people who are experiencing mental health struggles, issues with anxiety, depression, loneliness. And a lot of these individuals are at a younger age. And so I think we're going to see from a data perspective, kind of this story being told over the next couple of years, because technology moves so quickly and it optimizes so fast that we, the people don't really see the effect until it's almost too late. Do you know what I mean? Well, and that's, that's the question is, you know, when we say about how much is too much, what's the impact in 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now? Um, and we talk about mental health, the question we have to really go back to, and, and there's research out there is, how did we get here? And how do you stop it from happening? It's kind of like climate change in a way, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's we know that there's this warning level and it's hitting us, but what are we doing to stop it? And what are we doing to change the narrative and, and maybe divert people's attention away from the negativity and divert them to the positive? And, and so I think we're at, you know, at a turning point of, how much is too much? What are we doing? How are we going to stop it? Um, and, and, you know, I don't think we're ever going to stop it so much, but it's how do we change it to where people want to focus on more of the positive and, and create this mental healthy space for people. And it's people like you. And, and I hope that at some point in, in some way, it's people like me that can you know, show the love and compassion really overwins and, and overcomes anything that negative can happen. And, 
And when you, you mentioned about the mental health is, what are we doing to reach out? How are we supporting them? I think that there's a lot of work that needs to be done in that space. And I think that it, it, it's not just one or two people, but we collectively have to come together to say, how do we help? And um, instead of you know, excluding people, how do we include them? And how are we including them? I think that inclusion starts on, you know, a person to person, moment by moment basis. You know, the one reason I say that is when you find yourself in the real world, and for example, somebody gives you a compliment and they say, you know, Dan, I'm really loving your purple shirt today. That's awesome. That smile that you get on your face and that feeling of just that human connection, it carries into so many different areas of our lives. So although I was the person at the store who told Danny had a nice shirt on, that might mean that you carry yourself differently while you're in traffic and you let somebody in front of you. And those types of experiences have the ability to compound outward that I think maybe we're losing that human connection piece today because so many of us seem to be in our own world and we're always concerned with how do I get mine rather than trying to pour into others. And I think, right. you know, from a leadership perspective, but also from a value creation perspective in life in general, the more people that we can help, the more you are willing or you are going to be rewarded at the end of the day. And I think we really need to kind of remember that if you give, you will receive. And karma, from my perspective, is a real thing. The energy that you put out into the world, it is going to come back to you at a certain point in time. So you Absolutely. might as well start putting out the framework of positivity sooner than later. Yeah, and, and Kenya, what's interesting is um, I was thinking to myself, and, and this happened this morning. One is I want people to hold me accountable to what I'm saying. So if anything I'm saying is, isn't true or you find something different, I want people to let me know. Uh, because when I'm walking down the hallway, or anywhere I'm walking, even a grocery store, it's so embedded into me to say, hi, how are you? Um, and it happened today and I was, I was driving to work this morning and I noticed there were some people walking. There were so many people walking this morning and it was wonderful, it was, like the, it was beautiful outside, but everybody was on their phone. And I'm just thinking to myself, if we've learned anything over the past couple of years is how precious time is in, in, in terms of we were quarantined from people for so long. And then we had this, you know, this uh, you know, decrease in COVID and people started getting out in the world again and people started connecting again. Family dinners were happening and game nights were happening. But then it's kind of like we reverted right back to the, the pre-pandemic. And that made me a little nervous and a little sad because I'm thinking to myself, where's the connection? And, and like you said, is one compliment can change someone's mindset all day long they people hang on to that positivity so we just need to do more of it and we need to have more of it and so i say put down the phone talk to somebody when someone's walking past you just say hi and smile and i think dolly parton said it best said it best is you know if you see someone without a smile give them yours yeah i love that i mean the simple transference of energy is something that i truly believe in and when you can be the positive light in other people's lives you never know how that light is going to permeate I'll give an example. You know, my girlfriend came home from class the other day and she was like, yeah, I got these answers right in class. And the person next to me was like, wow, you're really smart. And she was like, for the first time in this academic setting, somebody said how smart I was. And she carried that energy home, told me that story, and that gave us something to bond over. And so it's like that small minimal moment in time had such a permeating effect downstream that, you know, now I'm sharing this story with you. And I'm sure other people are relating with this story as well because they've had that same experience. 
And so there's just so much opportunity to put positivity out into the world that I think we really just need to take advantage of it more often. I do too. But you know, my question goes a little bit deeper saying, did she not, you know, why didn't she think that she was smart enough to answer the questions? Why did it, why did someone next to her have to say you're smart? And that resonated with her. I want her to believe that she's smart. And when someone says it, you're going to be able to say, thank you. I mean, the confidence sometimes I think has to come. And this is something that's sad for everybody, not just anybody who's in my personal life, but sometimes we look for that outside validation to give us what we really need inside, or it gives us the inspiration to remember how powerful we really are. I think that is something that's important. You know, we all have the ability to show up as our best selves every day and really to impress ourselves more than other people. But why do you think we are consistently looking for sometimes that outward validation to give us the credibility that we know we already have inside? Where does that come from? Well, that's, that's a great question because I struggle with myself with it sometimes is, you know, um, when we're, you know, you're, you're, you have a presence um, and as a leader, is we have to find it every day, right? It's not easy all the time to get up and feel, you know, saying, I gotta be on stage today, I gotta be 100% and I have all these things going on in my personal life um, that is, is bringing me down a little bit, but I've gotta go and be my best self. And sometimes that validation, I think from other people for me is, I'm on the right track. Mm-hmm. I'm doing something good. So that positivity isn't, and the, the, the part of it is that I don't believe that I'm not a positive person, but when someone says, I love your positivity, it just reaffirms, I think. It doesn't confirm anything. It reaffirms who I am. And that is, I think, sometimes the motivation. And when I talk about motivation is that's the motivator of saying, I am on the right path. I'm doing the right things. I'm giving off the right vibe that I, I intend to do. And I'm aligned with who I am. And I'm aligned with how it's coming out. So for me, um, I don't, I, I think it is, it's just reaffirmations for us, right? It's, it's not a validation anymore for me. It's just affirming who I am and where I'm going and who I want to be. How did you develop this, from my perspective, extreme sense of self-awareness and quiet confidence in yourself? Has it been the trials and tribulations, all of the different settings that you've been in, and now we're seeing the you know, accumulation of all of the moments of Dan's life that he's able to show up as himself today? What is, how did you kind of create this energy? I I want to say I've always been this way. And I think, um, I think the word accumulation is the best um, because as I mentioned is, and we all have had struggles um, and I've had plenty of them and I could probably write a book about them. But the thing is, it just comes over time of saying, what is it that I want to be remembered for? And who, how do I want to be remembered? And, you know, Maya Angelou says the same thing in, in what she says. It's, it's, they might not remember your name, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And if at the end of the day, someone says, I feel better because Dan was in my life, that's all I need. And, at the end, and on, when I'm on my deathbed, if I have people just saying, you've made a difference in my life for the better, that I've done my job and I can go peacefully and know that I, I hope to have led a legacy somewhere because you never know what person you're touching and if it's in a positive way, what that ripple effect could be in their lives. So you could have changed the whole dynamic and not even know it. And so I want people to be proud of that. And I want them to know that no gesture, no words can ever be minimized because they could be the most important thing in someone else's life. 
I think that is the perfect place for us to end it to here today is, you know, they might not remember Dan and Keenan, but I guarantee if they listen to today's conversation, they will remember how they felt while they listened to the shared experience and positivity and optimism. And Dan, you know, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show and just being the person who's always been not only so encouraging of mine, but just somebody who is stepping up to the plate and being the leader who so many people need today and being that push of positivity in people's lives because we need it more so today than ever. And I just want to say, you know, publicly, thank you so much for all that you're doing for healthcare in general, but also for the people that you impact every day and the people who you don't even know that you're impacting as well. And the words could be said right back to you, Keenan. And I am very blessed to have to know you and to have this shared this time with you. And I know that this won't be the last time. So thank you for keep, keeping it positive. Absolutely. Well, guys, that's been another episode of the It's Telehealth podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. Dan, thank you so much for joining the show. It's been an absolute blessing and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys, that's been another great episode of the It's Telehealth podcast. If you're still hanging around, thank you so much. It would be an absolutely amazing favor to us if you liked and subscribed to the channel on our YouTube and our Spotify. We're always looking to get more feedback on how we're doing and producing these episodes for you guys. So if you have some feedback, we'd love to hear it. But once again, thank you so much for sticking around. Can't wait to bring another one to you. Have an amazing day. Looking forward to the next one.